0: If you would open up your Bible with me, and we'll have our scripture reading for this evening. The scripture reading tonight comes from Matthew 28, and it's in verse 18 through 20. Matthew 28, in verse 18 through 20. And it says this, Heavenly Father, we thank you for for bringing us here tonight, that we can embark on this new journey that you have before us, that we can sit here together to learn at your feet, to to train, to grow, to, to be strengthened, and so we ask you, Lord, that you would send your Holy Spirit to be upon us, that in all the meetings that we sit upon, whether it's tonight or tomorrow or Sunday or Monday, we would leave this place renewed. We would, we would be strengthened to know that you are with us and that you will continue to guide us. And so we ask for your presence now and that we would be ready for the message that you have for us tonight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Well, good evening. Now, you won't believe this, but I left Maryland yesterday in 66-degree temperature, sunny skies. And today I called home, and my wife rubbed it in. She said, it's over 70 degrees today, and the sun is shining. And there was snow melting yesterday, and there was probably a little left today. And I talked to my kids, two little girls, and they are so excited because this last week they said, we are tired of being cooped up in the house. So they said, Daddy, we were outside. We took our shoes off. Now, they would have never done that if I'd been around or their mother had seen them. They took their shoes off, and they were running around their bare feet in the mud that was made from the snow melting. So go figure. But here we are in sunny, well, not sunny California, southern California today. You're getting a taste of winter here. And West Peppers from Amazing Facts, I understand, had to actually drive down. His flight was canceled because of snow up in Sacramento. So it's global warming, I'm sure of that. Well, it's good to be here. I am excited to be here. Are you glad to be here tonight, this weekend? You know, this can be a life-changing experience for you. At least it can be a life-enhancing experience for you. Because there's nothing probably more calculated to bless and grow your life than learning how to share Jesus Christ with someone else. I mean, it is power-packed when you learn how to do that. Even if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, if you learn how to share Him, He will become your Savior. Reminds me of a story I heard a guy tell one time. He was into uh, street evangelism in the city of Chicago, Uh, tough area of Chicago, and he had a youth group that he was training. And, you know, a lot of these youth were there because their parents wanted them to be there, and so he had a lot of people who weren't sincerely interested, but he took them out one evening on the streets of Chicago and pulled off to a side street. They parked the car, and they got out, and it was actually a van full of kids. They got out, and You know, they had prayer and everything, but as they were walking up to the main strip where everybody was gathered and all the hoodlums and people were standing around in groups, they said, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, if Jesus isn't your personal Savior, you better make that right with him before you turn this corner because these people out on the street are street smart and they'll be able to see through you and know whether you're converted or not. And you don't want to go out there not really knowing Jesus because they'll be tough on you. So, I suggest you have a little prayer while we change, turn the corner. Follow me. <laughs> and I'm sure there were a lot of conversions that took place right there in those next few steps. So learning how to share your faith is just a, a blessing in many ways, a life-enhancing experience. And I was 17 years old when I became a Seventh-day Adventist. And we didn't have GYC in those days, but God had a little GYC prepared for me anyway. And he taught me and trained me, put me in touch with people who were willing to take a, a new church member that had hair down his back. I wish I had some of that hair nowadays, but had hair down my back and uh, was quite rough around the edges, and they took me under their wings and they trained me how to share Jesus, and that's why I'm here today. It all started back then with uh, learning how to share Christ. And, and you have to share them, don't you, when you love Christ? You just have to share them. It's it's in your heart. Well, there are a lot of things about witnessing that you can learn the easy way or the hard way, but you want to learn them. Now, the easy way is to learn it from someone else and to get it kind of figured out in your head. The hard way is to go out and just make your own mistakes. And the reality is, is that you really learn it by doing both. You don't learn until you go out there and you just start doing it and you say, oops, that doesn't work. I won't, I'll never do that again. I'm going to do something different next time. I want to share with you some of my oops times, some of the times that I've made mistakes, some of the things that I have learned. Now, this weekend has been designed to be very practical, and they've asked me to even make the evening sessions very practical, focused on training and soul winning. And they've especially asked me to talk about the cycle of evangelism, how you can set up a cycle of evangelism in your churches. But I want to start off tonight by looking at the most overlooked secret to soul winning. Because we can talk about all sorts of things this weekend. We can talk about how to get Bible studies, and we're going to do that. Wes Peppers is going to do that. We can talk about health ministry, and that's going to happen as well. And we can talk about the cycle of evangelism. You do this at this point and that at that point and you do this other thing at another point. But if you miss what I'm going to share tonight, then you'll have missed what evangelism is all about. And it's really the most overlooked secret to soul winning. Often, very often. I started off as a coal porter, then I became a Bible worker, then I became an evangelist. And I've trained evangelists. I've started, um, I started AFCO. You went, just graduated from AFCO, Jonathan? Started AFCO back in uh, 2001. I made the business plan for Life, Institute for Evangelism down in Florida. And I now have an online evangelism training school at hopenetonline.org. And I've trained a lot of evangelists, especially when I was running the evangelism program at Amazing Facts. And it was very typical that people would be, just like I was when I first started in evangelism, would come on, we'd get our evangelistic studies and presentations down, we'd get our PowerPoint put together, we'd get the doctrines all settled and how to best present them. <coughs> and we'd focus so much on that that we'd overlook the most important secret to soul winning. And it's that secret that I want to share with you tonight. I talk about this in my my book, my training book, Winsome Witnessing. You can see it on the screen here. I have slides. And by the way, you have a handout on page 15. If you want to take notes, you can follow along here. Winsome Witnessing, the title of my book, is based on a play on words that... If you are winsome, if you're friendly, if people like you and you know how to be winsome, you will win some people to Jesus Christ. And that, in a nutshell, is the most overlooked secret in soul winning. Now, I'm going to tease that out some in the next 45 minutes, and we're going to talk about specifically what that really looks like. But that's it in a nutshell. (coughs) that if you're going to win some people to Christ, then you need to learn to be winsome like Jesus. Now, this is an evangelism weekend, right? Well, here's Jack Bauer's school of evangelism. I don't know who Jack Bauer is, but he's got this ad. Think you know evangelism? Well, you don't know Jack Bauer. Jack Bauer's got a gun on his hip. He's got his hand around the other guy's neck, and he's saying, do it! The other guy's saying, all right, all right, I accept Jesus into my heart. You know, we have our own Adventist evangelistic Jack Bauer way of winning souls sometimes. It's, you know, the hand around the throat saying, you know, if you don't accept the truth, you're going to get the mark of the beast. Seven last plagues are going to fall on you. You're going to be destroyed by the brightness of Jesus' coming. And then you're going to have your bones scattered across the earth for a thousand years. Then God's going to resurrect you to burn you again. You know, we don't have eternal hellfire, but I think what we've got is just as bad. You know, we can, you know, you package that together, you can really scare people. I remember being in the deep south and going to an evangelistic meeting, one of our African-American Brethren from Oakwood College was holding, he was a new graduate, (coughs) excuse me, I'm just overcoming a cold here on the tail end of it, but uh, he was holding this tent meeting, and man, it was so loud, the speakers were so loud, they must have taught them at Oakwood that if you turn the speakers up so loud, people will be converted because their eardrums will be blown out, you know? And they'll say, yes, 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 to everything because they don't know what you're saying because they can't hear it anymore. They have lost their hearing. So I actually had to drive my car like three blocks down the road, and there I could listen to him without hurting my head. But he was teaching the health message that night. And I'll never forget the key line. I mean, we're going back many, many years, but he must have gone to the Jack Bauer School of Evangelism. Because he said, if you don't stop dipping snuff, God's going to dip you in the lake of fire. <laughs> Classic line, isn't it? Try that in your next evangelistic meeting. Of course, the snuff only works in the deep south. But uh, dipping snuff and dip you in the lake of fire, that is not winsome witnessing. And that doesn't really win the type of converts that stay or that grow a church, or that Jesus will really use to reflect his image to a dying world. And yet, that's kind of what we often think about when we think about evangelism. That's why evangelism has such a bad name often in the church. I'm excited to see young people, though, who are excited about evangelism. Because evangelism is powerful. I'll never forget, as, as a new Adventist, and I was at an Adventist institution, I went to the head of the institution, and I said, you know, I need to be out witnessing, I need to be out sharing this message. And that person had grown up in the church, and they said, oh, no, 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 you don't need to do that, it's okay, settle down. You know, if, if you sit still long enough like us, you'll grow as cold as us. And I said, no, i got to go. i got to get out to the doors. i got to talk to people. I've been reading this message and studying it. People need to hear this. I was lost. Now I'm found. There are lots of lost people out there. They need to be found. And I want to go. No, 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 no. I said, listen, I need to go for my own sake too. I need to learn this message. And when I share it, I know I'll learn. I was 17 years old and I'm telling an adult this. <clears throat> well, I finally went. I went on my own. I'll tell you more about that as the weekend goes. But I went, and I learned how to witness, but I learned through a lot of trial and error. A lot of people just don't ever get it, though. They don't learn how to be a winsome witness. I was a brand-new pastor. I went to our first, ga- out, uh, our first fellowship gathering at the church. They had a big bonfire evening program, beautiful time of the year. One of the members had a, uh, a farm, and so he invited out a whole church out there, and we went out there, and they had a big bonfire, and we ate food, and we sang, and we worshiped. And this guy took this as an opportunity to invite his neighbors who lived next to his farm that they would come over to the event. And so they were gathered there, and I, wa- I was walking around meeting some of the new members, and I could hear all of this very excited discussion going on in this little group of people, probably about… 20, you know, 15, 20 people, and I walked over there to kind of hear what was being said, and I heard things like the Mark of the Beast, Sunday, the Pope, and, you know, all this type of stuff, the Sabbath, and I thought, boy, I wonder what that guy's preaching about. Well, then he saw me, and the guy pulls me into the circle, and he says, Pastor, these are all my neighbors, and it happened to be the guy hosting the event, these are all my neighbors. And he said, they're not Adventists, and I'm trying to tell them the truth, Pastor. I'm trying to tell them that the Sabbath is on Saturday, and Sunday's the wrong day to go to church on. He started going through all the three angels' message, and he's agitated, he's excited, and he's, he's just into it. But Pastor, they won't listen. You tell them I'm right. Oh man, what do you do? You know, you got... You know, 15 to 20 pairs of eyeballs looking at you. And this guy has just already macheted them to death. You know, he's hacked them up with the word of God. And I'm supposed to now tell them that he's right. Yeah, he's right, but he's all wrong. And to this day, I still don't know what I said to them. I just don't, I can't even recall. All I remember is is feeling like that I was caught in a great dilemma, and I did not know what to do. But that was the type of guy that any new person that came into the church foyer, he always had some Ellen White quotes to give them. He was also the guy that just got agitated when everything didn't go just his way in the church. And he's the man that complimented me one day as I was greeting people after I just preached gave me a compliment. He came out the door and greeting line, and he put his fish right in my face. He said, Pastor, most Sabbaths, I want to knock your teeth out. But that was a good sermon, Pastor. And he shook my hand. I said, well, thank you, I think. <laughs> so you can convert some people by grabbing them by the neck, but what do you really have when they join the church? Maybe you got this guy that was a member of my church. Because like converts what? Like. Like wins like. And I just can't see Jesus doing that to people. He didn't do that to people, did he? Jesus said, follow me. He didn't drive people. He called people to follow him. So, if you're going to win people, you need to find what Jesus' winsome method is. Because there is a right way and there is a wrong way to share the truth of God. And I want to share an illustration right out of the Scriptures on this. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are on their missionary journey together. And they, Paul has the, the dream of the man in Macedonia saying, Come over here. And so, he goes over to Philippi. And in the city of Philippi, he begins witnessing. Now, I've been to the ancient ruins of Philippi, and Philippi was noted in the Bible as not having a Jewish synagogue. And so this is where Paul would go out to the river, the little river where the Bible says in Old King James, prayer was wont to be made, and there he met Thyatira, uh, uh, Lydia from Thyatira, and he baptized her. And so a Christian church was established there. But picture this, Philippi was one of the major Roman cities. It was a big, major city. And Paul goes in and he's going to evangelize this city, that Los Angeles of his day. And so he goes in, how do you win a huge city like this? Well, maybe you take out ads on the local radio station, or you get an ad on TV, or maybe you print handbills and you mail it to everyone. Well, Paul didn't have that available to him. But what if, what if you had the the most esteemed, the most respected, the most sought-after spiritual counselor of the whole city? What if you had that person endorsing you? What if you were invited to be a speaker at the Crystal Cathedral? And there they endorsed you, and they said, This guy, this lady has a message. You need to listen to them. Well, that's what happened to Paul and Silas. They didn't have handbills, they didn't have TV, they didn't have radio, but they got the endorsement of the most respected, the most highly esteemed spiritual advisor for the entire city. And listen to what she said Acts 16, verse 17. Young servant girl, Bible says she brought great profit to her owners because she was well-respected. Here's what she said. She followed them around. She said, these men are the servants of the Most High God which show unto us the way of salvation. Now, every word of that is true, isn't it? There's not anything wrong with what she said These men were the servants of the Most High God, putting this God, whom they served, higher than all of the other gods, even the goddess Diana, whom they worshipped. And they show unto us the way of salvation. So there's nothing wrong with what she said. But let me ask you a very important question. Who was she really witnessing for? And who was she really witnessing to? Well, the next verse tells us, it says, But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Now, she was spirit-led, wasn't she? She was witnessing. She was doing something for the spiritual forces. But it wasn't the Holy Spirit, was it? It was an evil spirit. It was a demonic spirit that inspired her to say these truthful words. Now, that's sobering, isn't it? Makes you think of my church member who was telling that little captive audience he had there all the things he was telling them. Every word of it was true. Every bit of it was true. But the way he was doing it He was inspired by the wrong spirit. And maybe, just maybe, if I'd been more inspired by the right spirit, I could have turned to him and cast demons out of him too. I don't know. I've never tried that one. So we need the right spirit. Volume four of the testimonies, page 404, kind of nails this point down. The manner in which the truth is presented often has much to do in determining whether it will be accepted or rejected. You see, it's not just saying the right words, but it's how you do it. It's how you do it. Because you can do it in a way that glorifies Jesus and uplifts Jesus, or you can witness in a way that turns people off from Jesus. And I'd like to suggest to you that it's that latter manner, the way that turns people off from Jesus, is also turning off many of God's people from sharing their faith. Would you agree with me? We look at these bad examples of witnessing. We see people Bible-banging folks over the head. We see them, you know, hammering the spirit of prophecy on people. and We see people getting turned off, and we say, that ain't me. I'm not going to do that. I don't want anything to do with evangelism. You know, twisting people's arms, trying to get them to be baptized and accept the truth. And all of that, all those bad, bad examples of evangelism, we just say, if that's evangelism, I don't want anything to do with it. And I believe it's the devil's purpose to not only turn people off from Christ when we are a bad witness, but to turn God's people off from sharing Christ by being a bad witness. And that's why I am passionate about sharing with people how to be a winsome witness, how to share Christ in a way that puts a smile on somebody's face, that they say, this is my decision. I found the truth. I'm excited about the truth. I'm excited to be here. Because winning people through Christ's method changes lives for eternity. Not just for a moment of time where we get them in our pew and we get them warming it and we pull them up front and we say, here's a trophy. But I'm talking about changing lives for eternity. Transforming people so that they now become a vibrant member in God's cause. They love Jesus and they are dedicating their life to tell others about Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. When we start talking about the cycle of evangelism this weekend, I want you to think about a cycle that's not just an annual cycle. I'm going to talk to you about a, a yearly cycle, what you can do in your churches, what you can do in your own life. But I want you to draw that circle even bigger because the cycle is really the cycle of life. When you win somebody to Christ today in 2011, you need to think about their cycle all the way around to eternity. What's it really going to mean? What's it really going to mean when you invest your life and pour it out there for Jesus Christ and you win another person? You're making a difference for eternity for somebody. For eternity. I mean, our minds can't even comprehend what that means. But I can only just imagine, you know, somebody that I've had some small part in winning to Christ, you know, in the year 20,787, is going to come up to me one Sabbath afternoon and say, Gary, good to see you again. Hadn't seen you in three million years. But listen, man, I am eternally grateful That you came and knocked on my door and shared Jesus Christ with me. Look at what I've got, man. Look at this mansion. Look at my family. Look at my friends. Look at, I'm here in heaven because you did it. Thank you so much. Man, think about the cycle of evangelism. It doesn't end. It's just going to go and go and go and go. That's thrilling, isn't it? And that's why God wants us to be out there introducing people to Jesus Christ. I want to do that. How about you? I want to be that person that says, Jesus is your best friend. He lived for you. He died for you. He reigns for you. He's coming again just for you. Now, that passion was very strong in my heart when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I, I was not... Hmm, how do I put this nicely? I was far from being a Christian, very far, and I didn't hang out with people who were very friendly to Christians. But uh, when I was changed, I couldn't help but tell them about Jesus. And I can remember sitting around the campfire, going out with the buddies, camping out, and them doing things that uh, I used to participate in, and I'd say, no, thank you, I don't want any of that anymore. And me telling them about Jesus Christ all night long. Because when you love Jesus, you can't help but tell them about Jesus, right? Winsome witnessing. But I had a rough time because I had some people that were harder to win. And in my chapter, Winsome Witnessing, I talk about winning them without killing them. (laughs) I was a brand new Christian. And my mother had recently remarried. My father had died and she remarried and she married a guy who uh, was an alcoholic. She didn't know it. He hid it well until she got married to him and started realizing this guy was an alcoholic, closet alcoholic, and start causing problems in the family. And here I was, a new Adventist, totally changed, lifestyle changed, diet changed, and that brought quite a uh, change to the family because I was still living at home. I just turned 17 years old, and uh, he would make it hard for me. Anytime I'd cook some food, I was trying to be vegetarian. He'd come over and he'd say, boy, you need some pork in that. And he'd want to throw some pork into the food, and, I'd, and he'd be drunk, and I'd have to try to reason with the drunk, no, don't put pork in my food. And it got to where I had a vested interest in this man being converted because if he could get converted, it would just change my life as well. It would make it a lot easier. And so I started praying, Lord, help me to witness to Harry. I call him a different name in the book. Help me to win Harry to you. And so one time we're having this discussion, I thought, you know, what I need to do is tell Harry. He's going to be one of those people that are one at the last moment. Now, remember, I was a brand new Adventist. I was still wet from my baptism, still wet behind the ears. Uh, I had such long hair, it took a long while for it to dry out. But I was still wet behind the ears, and I, my doctrine wasn't all straight. But I had some of the pieces there. We were having a discussion one day, and I said, "Harry, let me tell you something that's going to help you." Here I am, this young kid, going to counsel this man. I said, the, "I'm going to tell you what the Bible says, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in the last days. And when you see this happening, then you'll know that I was right. And then." you will come and you will join the truth and follow the truth like I have. No pride there. And so I told him, my Roman Catholic stepfather, the Pope is the Antichrist. Subtle way to start, right? Sunday is the mark of the beast. And what's going to happen is the Pope is going to unite his power with the United States and they are going to exalt Sunday as the day to go to church on and it's going to be the means of pulling all society together and solving all the massive problems that the world will have at that time. And there's going to be a small group of people, Sabbath keepers, who keep the Sabbath on Saturday that aren't going to cooperate. But the, one of the ways the devil's going to get everybody to do this together is the Pope is going to call down fire from God out of heaven, Revelation 13. I had a very literal interpretation of it back then. And he's going to call this fire down, boom, and he's going to say, see, I am from God. So everybody keeps Sunday now. It's very simple in my mind. And my stepfather, Harry, just kind of stood there. He kind of looked dumbfounded. And I thought, oh, I got through to him. (laughs) What I'd done was shocked him. He was stunned. And when he found his voice, he said, well, son, when I see the Pope call down fire from God out of heaven, I'm going to go up and shake his hand and say, you must be a man of God to be able to do that. And I thought, that is the most stupid, ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Because the Bible says that's the Antichrist doing that. And not only did I think that, I said that to him. Another not-so-winsome way (laughs) to witness. And that became a huge argument. We started yelling at each other and shouting at each other. That Christmas, they had given me a brand-new 410 pump-action shotgun. This was in Louisiana. Louisiana they call it sportsman's paradise. You hunt and fish. While well, I was getting ready to try out my new shotgun on my stepfather. I got so angry witnessing, mind you, that I threatened to go get my gun and kill him. Now I'm embarrassed to tell you that actually. And I'm glad the rest of the story doesn't have a prison sentence and felon convicted converted st- part of the story but I actually literally threatened to kill him about that time my mother said okay witnessing's over you go to your room that was me and when I went to my room that's where I met the Holy Spirit he had left my witnessing a long time ago when I got in my room it was like he said to me he said boy you just really messed up You're supposed to be the Christian. He's the alcoholic. You're getting ready to kill the poor guy. And I said to the Holy Spirit, well, if he weren't so stupid and hard-headed, I wouldn't have said that. The Holy Spirit said, excuse me? Who's Mm hard-headed? Who's stupid? Man, I wrestled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, you need to go and confess to him that you're wrong. No, I'm not going to do that you better, <laughs> because if you don't, you're never going to be right with me, because you, not re- you did not represent me right. And boy, that, I wanted to be right with God, and I could see that harboring that sin was going to be bad for me. So, I went and I confessed to Harry. I said, Harry, I was wrong. Shouldn't have said what I said. Will you forgive me? And he said, yes, I'll forgive you. You know, later on, when his family and my family had an intervention with him. That's when you back an alcoholic in a corner and you tell them they're an alcoholic and they need treatment. He got up and he stormed out of the room and he went back in the backyard and said, man, what am I going to do? And I went out and talked to him. And he said, Gary, you're the only one in that room I respect. Do you think I really need treatment? And I said, yes, Harry, you need treatment. He said, okay, I'll go. And he went to treatment and he got dried out. You know, now it's not, he didn't respect me because I threatened to kill him. He respected me because I asked for forgiveness. So winning him without killing him is really our goal, isn't it? You know, I was ready to shoot the poor guy, drag his still warm corpse to the foot of Jesus and dump him there and say, God, I got one for you. Hold on, I'll go get another one too. No, we don't want to win him that way. It uh, makes me think of this cartoon, uh, the Peanuts cartoon. She says, I would have made a good evangelist. You know, that kid who sits behind me at school? I convinced him that my religion is better than his religion. And the guy asked, well, how'd you do that? She said, I hit him with my lunchbox. Or how about this one? <clears throat> Pastor talking to a guy it's a shame that I couldn't reach you with God's message. Perhaps the deacons will have better luck. The deacons are behind the wall with a, with a stick. You can't see it, but they got a stick. They're getting ready to whack the guy when he comes around the corner with John 3.16 written on the stick. But that's how we typically look at evangelism. It's not a winning approach, is it? We're going to whack people with lunch boxes and with sticks with John 3, 16, or Revelation chapter 14 and 13, the mark of the beast, and, you know, we're going to bang them over the head, and yeah, we'll get a convert then. Now, we need to preach all those things. Don't misunderstand me. They are the truth. But here's the mistake we're making. Here is the most overlooked secret, to soul winning. I told you earlier in a nutshell, what it was, but let's delve into it more. See if you can spot it here in Evangelism, page 291. When truth is held as truth, only by the conscience, when the heart is not stimulated and made receptive, read it with me. What's the rest of it say? Only the what? Only the mind is affected. So when truth is held as truth, only by the conscience, when the heart's not stimulated, when the heart's not made receptive, only the mind is affected. But when the truth is received as truth by the heart, it has passed through the conscience and has captivated the soul with its pure principles. It's placed in the heart by the Holy Spirit who reveals its beauty to the mind, that its transforming power may be seen where? In the character. Look at the three parts of the anatomy, if you please. You've got the heart, you've got the mind, you've got the character. What are we really after? We're after the whole life being changed, right? The whole character of a person being transformed. The gospel transforms character. Character is the only thing you take to heaven with you when you leave this earth. And discipling. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. I wish I had time to actually go into that with you, what, what disciple making is. You can check out my presentation on HopeNet online for that. But disciple-making is all about growing people into Christ-like character. We're to be very intentional about that as a church and individually about it. But notice the process here. The Holy Spirit doesn't transform character just by convincing the mind of the 28 fundamental beliefs. Do you hear me? It's not just teaching the truth so a person says, yeah, I got all that down. I can be baptized. I got all that down, now I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. No, we have to do more than convince the mind. The mind needs to be educated. The conscience has to be convicted. Don't misunderstand me. We need to know the truth. It's got to be there, and this truth is powerful. It's so powerful that it can convince the mind. But it's also powerful enough to change the life. By being placed in the heart by the Holy Spirit. You follow me? And so here's the most overlooked secret to soul winning we aim our gospel ammo at people's frontal lobes. We're going to convince them of the truth. Give me the latest book, give me the latest app, give me the latest video. Give me the latest DVD, and give me that latest thing that's going to convince somebody of the truth, and then I got them, right? Have you ever thought that's the way it's done? And all those things are great, but what we really need to ultimately know is that we have to win the heart if we're going to win the person. Can you say amen? You've got to win the heart. So, yeah, you need to know the Bible lessons. You need to know this message. You need to have an experience with this message. You need to know how to answer objections and questions and difficult texts. You want to know all of that. But never forget that while you're explaining all that, your real goal is to reach what? The heart. Your real goal is to reach the heart. Now, once you get that, friends, in your (laughs) minds… And in your heart. It will guide you in whatever witnessing situation you're in. Whatever witnessing situation you're in. Because you will be dealing with people. And you might be dealing with some real obnoxious person. And they're really kind of hard to deal with. And they're giving you problems. Arguing the message with you. And the temptation may be to just engage with them and try to convince them. But when you stop and you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, this game is not all about the head, it's not all about convincing them, what's going on here, what's happening in their heart right now, then you'll take a step back and you'll start addressing the heart and talking to them about their heart. And you know what will happen? You'll see the whole conversation change and you'll find you'll start opening doors to their heart. Quick story: I was um, holding evangelistic meetings not too long ago, and had a guy coming to the meetings. Man, his wife was wanting to become an Adventist, and he didn't want her to become an Adventist. And uh, they had a very prominent position in the community, a very prominent position in their church. And so he was uh, he was invested in keeping her from joining the church. So he was on the internet reading all the negative stuff about Adventism, and he was asking all of the difficult questions. Many of them not even in the answers to difficult questions books that we read. So, yeah, every night, pumping me with difficult questions. And in that meeting, I did something I don't recommend people do, but I did it because I just wanted to see what it was like. I allowed him to ask the questions publicly. That was fun. So I said, hey friend, what you doing Sunday afternoon? What do you think about going and getting lunch together? Yeah, let's do that. So we went out to lunch together, his wife and I and the pastor, and that ended up being a three, four-hour lunch, and he asked a bunch, a bunch of questions, and the Lord gave me answers. I tell you, when you're giving Bible studies for the Lord, the Lord will show you things right in the midst of the Bible study that you never thought of before. You'll get really interesting insights so much so that you might even want to take notes on your own Bible studies. I'm telling you, you get stuff. The pastor that was, was with me is a very, very bright guy. He's got a genius IQ. I respect him a lot. And when we got out of there, I said, you know, I've never thought about those things before that I said. Have you? He said, no. I said, they're truth. And he was all excited about it, and so was I. Because the truth is just this harmonious, connected chain that it just all makes sense. You can get a a difficult question, but if you know the truth, it just all comes together. But I realized that wasn't the main thing. Here's what I said to him when we answered his questions I said this I said, Friend, I said, I appreciate you coming to the meetings, and I appreciate you coming and answering your questions. And I want you to know that all your questions are good questions, but I also want you to know that we are fellow travelers on the road of life, seeking to get to the same place, heaven. And I'm just one poor traveler with another trying to help us each find our way. And with that, tears started running down this guy's eyes. He's a wealthy executive running down his eyes, his face, I should say. And he choked up. He said, well, thank you. Thank you very much. See, we just spent an hour to two hours talking here. But then in a moment, boom, I could address the heart. What do you think was more powerful? Two hours of Bible study? Or saying, hey, I love you, and I want to be in heaven with you? See, it's the combination of the two. And so you have to remember, reach that heart. Now, let me share with you, Ellen White talks about times when people... Missed this point. In in the book Great Controversy, page 224, she's talking about France, and she's talking about how the French reformers were looking across the border at Germany and saying, man, the Reformation's going really good there. It's been so slow here. We need to do something mighty and bold for God. And so what they decided to do is that overnight they would put placards on, on the doors and post them that people could read it and learned that the Mass was not of God. So it says, Placards attacking the Mass were in one night posted all over France. But instead of advancing the reform, this zealous but ill-judged movement brought ruin, not only upon its propagators, but upon the friends of the Reformed faith throughout France. It gave the Romanists what they had long desired, a pretext for demanding the utter destruction of the heretic's as agitators, dangerous to the stability of the throne and the peace of the nation. So you know what the, what the king did? He gathered up all the reformers and they killed them all. And they stopped the reformation in France. And that's why France till this day is Catholic. And it's because of that one ill-judged movement of putting these placards up everywhere. You know, they even got one on the king's bedroom door posted. And they thought, we're really slick. We got it right in there in the king's bedroom door. That irritated him so much that he had some Protestant insider inside his castle that he had them all killed. And, you know, we do that in Adventism today. We put up billboards. Have you ever seen the billboards? The Pope is the Antichrist, Sunday's the mark of the beast. Have you ever seen that? No, I'm serious. Have you ever seen that? Florida and up in Oregon? Yeah, that really wins a few souls, doesn't it? I moved into Modesto, well, probably 17, yeah, 15 years ago or so. Moved into Modesto, opened up the newspaper to check out what's happening in town. I see this ad. Sunday is the mark of the beast. Sabbath is Saturday, sponsored by the Seventh-day Adventists, your friends. I said, okay, here we go. Made me real proud to tell my neighbors I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. But see, this is the most overlooked secret is that we forget that people have a heart. It's not all about convincing the mind. It's not all about telling the truth. It's a combination of the two. It's having a heart for lost people that tells it to them in a way that will win their hearts. You know, Jesus is depicted as the line of the tribe of Judah and the Lamb of God in Revelation chapter 5. And I believe that's very significant in a number of ways, but one way is it tells us about how Jesus presents the truth. As a young evangelist, somebody told me, I forget who it was today, they said, Preach like a lion, visit like a lamb. And I've always remembered that, and I've passed that on to a lot of evangelists. Preach like a lion. Don't apologize for the truth. Be definite about the truth. Know the truth, present the truth in an authoritative way. But visit like a lamb and get to know people and win their hearts. You see, but what we do is we often see the evangelist up front preaching like a line and we say, oh, that's evangelism. And then we go and do that to our neighbors and we roar in their face and we wonder why they run the other way. But what we don't see the evangelist doing is visiting like a lamb. Let me give you an illustration. I was holding an evangelistic meeting. had a lady coming to the meetings. She's coming every night. She was invited by one of our members and she was the uh, charged nurse in this hospital on this particular floor. This lady was coming every night, and she was loving the message. And I had visited it in her home. I was getting acquainted with her. And I realized that there were a number of lifestyle issues that were going to become testing truths to her, if you please. And there was a particular night in the series where I talk about how to walk the walk of faith for a lifetime all the way into eternity. And if you're going to walk with God throughout eternity, you're going to have to be careful about what you allow your mind to feast on. You're going to be careful about what you watch, places you go, things you do. Do, Would you agree with me? Because garbage in equals what? Garbage out. And so I train people this way because I'm interested in them being at this for eternity. And so there's one night I'm going to do this, and I realize that this particular woman one of her hobbies is collecting movies. I mean, movies of all stripes. And there are other things. And so I'm getting ready to start the evangelistic meeting, and I look at my watch, and I say, man, we got to start, but this lady's not here yet. She usually comes in late right after work, and i got to talk to her before I preach this message. And so they sing a few more songs, and she comes in. I let her get seated and I go over and I kneel down beside her and I say, hey, I'm glad you're here tonight. How was your day? Oh, it was a good day. Well, I'm really glad you're here. She said, I'm glad I'm here too. I said, have you been enjoying the meetings? She said, oh yeah, I love them. I'm learning a lot. I said, great. I said, listen, I got a favor to ask of you tonight. She said, really? I said, yeah, will you pray for me tonight? She said, yeah. I said, I'll tell you why. I'm going to present a message tonight that I think is very important, very crucial to our walk with God, and yet I recognize that this message may step on some people's toes, and I don't want it to do that. I want people to see the wisdom in this message and see Christ in this message, and, and I want to I preach it and present it the right way, and I really need you to help me by praying. Will you pray for me? She said, yes. I said, okay, and I was serious about this. I'd never done this before with somebody before but the Lord put it on my heart. And I said, listen, I'm going to be praying for you too. She said, oh, really? I said, yeah. I said, because I think your toes might be some of them that get stepped on tonight. I said, you I'm concerned about, as you listen to this, how you'll relate to it, and I really want you to see Jesus, and I want you to see what God's Word has to say. So I'm going to be praying for you. Can I do that? She said, yeah, please. So I preached the message. After the message... As she's leaving, I said, were you praying for me? She said, yes. I said, she said, but pastor, I need to ask you, were you praying for me? And I said, oh, I was. She said, keep on praying, because that did step on my toes. Well, we were nearing the end of the evangelistic series, and people were making decisions for baptism, and I asked her, I said, are you going to be baptized? And she said, well, are you praying for me? I said, yeah, I'm praying for you. She said, keep on praying. And all week long, every evening, I'd ask her, Are you going to be in this next baptism? And she'd say, Are you praying for me? Keep on praying. Friday night before the baptism, Are you praying for me? Keep on praying. Sabbath morning, the woman comes in with her bag prepared for baptism. And she said, You can stop praying. I've made my decision. And all of those issues that I was concerned about, you could look at her and tell her they tell they were all resolved, every single one of them. She had fully accepted the lifestyle truths of the Bible. Why? Because I'd taken the time to visit like a lamb with her. That's where you reach the heart. That's where you make the difference. That's the most overlooked secret in soul wedding. Listen to the way Ellen White puts this. Gospel workers, page 193. Your success will not depend so much upon your knowledge and accomplishments as upon your ability, read it with me, to find your way to the heart. She says, this is what will make you successful, finding your way to the heart of a person. And then she tells us how to do it. By being social and coming close to the people, you may turn the current Of their thoughts more readily than by the most able discourse. Find your way to the heart. And so, as we talk about evangelism this weekend, we talk about how to give Bible studies, talk about how to give cooking schools, talk about the cycle of evangelism. All of that is only valuable when you realize how to find the way to the heart of a person. You know, when you're cooking with them, you're teaching them how to cook, it's not just to make vegetarians of them. A lot of vegetarians will probably burn in hell. Might not burn as well as meat would, a carnivorous person, but they'll burn in hell too. You just have burnt vegetables. The purpose of the cooking school for a number of things, is clear up their mind and all that, but the real evangelistic purpose in my thinking is By serving them, you have an opportunity to win their heart. You you have an opportunity to talk to them, get to know them, and win the relationship and win the heart. Same thing in giving Bible studies. Now, this is the way Jesus witnessed. Listen to this Ministry of Healing, page 24. While he ministered to the poor, Jesus studied. I love that. Think about Jesus. I mean, he's having to study ways to reach the rich. He sought the acquaintance of the wealthy and cultured Pharisee, the Jewish nobleman and Roman ruler. He accepted their invitations, attended their feasts, made himself familiar with their interests and occupations that he might, watch this, gain access to what? Their hearts and reveal to them the imperishable riches. This was Jesus' method. The Almighty God Who's embodied in humanity studied how to reach people's hearts. He could give the most eloquent, truth filled mes- teaching message of anybody who's ever walked this planet, but he studied how to reach people's hearts. And he did it by becoming social with them, going to their feasts, spending time with them, finding out how to reach their hearts. Quick story there was a member of my church before I pastored there, hard member. Married to, excuse me, he was not a member. He was married to an Adventist. And he hated the Adventists because of what they had done to his family. They would split up his family. He had to put all his kids through church school. And he just hated Adventists. <coughs> it had been that way for decades. And any Adventist pastor that would come up to his home to visit his wife, he'd say, I give you 30 seconds to get off my doorstep or I'm going to kick you off this doorstep. Get out of here right now. And he meant it. Well, the pastor before me, two pastors before me, heard about this man. And he said, what does he like to do? And they said, well, he loves to fish. He loves to fish. Oh, I love fishing too. I'm going to go fishing with John. And so he goes over to John's house and he says, I'm the new pastor. And the guy's just getting mad on by the minute. And the pastor says, but listen, I... I didn't come to talk to you about the church or anything like that. I came to talk to you about fishing because I'm a fisherman. I love to fish. But here I'm in this new city and I don't know where to fish and I'm getting withdrawal from fishing. I got to get my fishing hit here. Will you take me fishing? I got to go fishing. And the guy never met an Adventist pastor went fishing. He said, Yeah. They began fishing together. And they won fish, they, excuse me, they caught fish together. And by catching fish together, they became friends. And that man gave his heart to Jesus and was baptized and became an Adventist. And when I came to that church, he had to tell me the story. He says, I waited so long, I should have never waited, but it took that pastor coming to my house and going fishing with me, and I'm so happy now that I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. You see, that man knew how to win a heart, and that's what he did. He followed Jesus' method. So quickly, in review, here's a wins of witnessing strategy from Ellen White. She knew how to do this. Hey, did you ever hear the story of her in Australia? You know, she started the pioneer work in Australia. They were living in tents, and there were these hoodlums who lived on the other side of the hill. You know the story? They would come in and raid Ellen White's camp and steal their food and, you know, different stuff. And, and her team got so fed up with it, they said, let's call the sheriff and have these people arrested. And I said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. She said, hitch up the horses, we're going to go over there. And she took her nurse over on the other side of the hill where all these gypsy-type people lived. And she found what their needs were. There were some people sick, and she had her nurse treat the sick people. And then they start treating more and more sick people, helping those people. And guess what happened? All the stealing stopped, and they won their souls. They baptized people. See, Ellen white was the soul winner. Listen to what she said about the wins witnessing witness strategy. Audience, go to your neighbors one by one, she says. Find your way to the heart. That's the target. Come close to the people. That's your method. And then she says your means are to sympathize, pray with them, watch for opportunities to do them good, and open the Word of God. But don't neglect. The power of persuasion, the power of prayer, the power of the love of God. Now, friends, if we do this, that she promises we will reap the following. She says this in Volume 9 of the Testimonies, page 189. If we humble ourselves before God and be kind and courteous and tenderhearted and pitiful, there would be, read it with me, 100 conversions to the truth where now there's only one. Did you notice the word she used there describes reaching the heart, impressing and reaching the heart, a hundred to one return when we realize that we need to reach the heart if we're going to win the person. Now, I want to just in the next few minutes cover something else that's very, very important. You'll get more of this. I noticed in your notes, uh, Wes Peppers is going to cover this more, but I want to I connect this to what we just talked about, reaching the heart, because it's so important to the cycle of evangelism. Jesus' method. Ellen White tells us in the Review and Herald, March 30, 1905, that we can learn from Christ the science of soul saving. Now, what's a science? Help me out. What is a science? Define it. It's a system. Is that what you said? If you do certain things, you get predictable results. Okay, math is a science. I'm going to do some high science with you. Two plus two equals what? You're good. Two plus two equals four. Does it always equal four? It does, doesn't it? Two plus two always equals four. If you do predictable if certain things you get predictable results. H2O, what is that? What does what makes up the water? Two elements of hydrogen? One of oxygen. Equals water always, always. So you do certain things, you get predictable results. There's a science of soul saving. You do certain things, you get predictable results. What is it that we can learn from Jesus in soul saving? Ministry of Healing, page one forty three. Well known, but I want to point out some things that are often unmentioned. Ellen White says Christ method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed a sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. Now, break it down with me. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired the good. He didn't just stay in the church, did he? He went out. He found where people where they were. Tomorrow afternoon, you'll be going out, meeting people where they are. So he socialized with people. He spent time with the lost, <coughs> and so, so should we. Oh, White says in volume five of the testimonies, while we should cultivate sociability, let it not be merely for amusement, but for a purpose, there are souls to save. He sympathized with people. He showed his sympathy for them. As he got acquainted with them, he found out what their needs were. He sympathized with them. He did more than just sympathize. He ministered to their needs. He served them. So he socialized, sympathized, and served. And then it says, and he won their confidence. Now, here's where I do something different with this. And I think it's pretty significant. Socializing plus sympathizing plus serving equals winning confidence. Winning confidence is not a separate step. If you were trying try to follow this as four steps instead of three equaling one, you would, and I told you, I said, go win confidence. What would you do to win confidence? You'd go spend time with people, sympathize, and serve them, right? I tell you, win confidence. Now listen to this. Don't miss this. This is all about winning the heart equals winning confidence. Before a person makes any major decision, they first have to trust you. And they have to trust that that's a decision that's going to be good for them. You follow me? So you have to win their confidence before they're going to follow you to to a Bible study or follow you to an evangelistic meeting or follow you to church. And that's what's missing in a lot of our evangelism. We forget the heart, and we forget that we got to reach the heart and win that confidence so the person trusts us. Because a lot of evangelism is portrayed as winning people just so we can uh, get another mark and say, see there, we convinced one more, so we must be really right. And people see through that, and they don't want to be one And so they have to trust you. And I've had people tell me, ask me, when I give a Bible study, they'll say, why do you want to study with us? What are they asking? They're asking, why should I trust you? Why should I have confidence in you? And you have to answer that question. And you really need to answer that question before you ever get the Bible study. I've asked people, I've shown them my Bible studies, and I've said, you know, here's a Bible study, I think you'll enjoy it, and I'll put the Bible study in their hand, and then I'll say, now I need to tell you why I do this, why I'm giving you, why I'm offering you Bible studies, because I've got to get to that point right there before they'll say yes. And in Winston Witnessing, I tell you what I tell them, and I get Bible studies, get lots of them, because I know I've got to reach that heart, they've got to trust me before they're going to take Bible studies and let me in their house. The same thing when I'm giving Bible studies to them. Same thing when I'm doing evangelistic meetings. It's all about winning confidence where they trust you and they need, and you need to be worthy of their trust, by the way. This is not a gimmick. I never arm twist somebody into baptism. You know, a friend of mine told me about a lady he was baptizing. She was afraid of the water. And so the deacons were going to help her down into the baptistry. And so the church was packed for this baptism you know, people everywhere. And the pastor's down in the water, and he introduces the lady, Joan, who's going to be baptized, and they see her coming down the stairs. But before she puts her foot in the water, he reaches up, he grabs her hand, deacons on either side helping her down the water. And all of a sudden, the fear of the water kicks in. And she goes, no, no. He's got her arm now. And he says, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. And he's pulling her into the water. Deacons are pushing her. She's pulling back for all her might, and the whole church is watching. Finally, she's screaming, no, no, no! And the pastor's saying, it's going to be okay! It's going to be okay! They didn't realize she was afraid of the water. They thought, you know, we're getting one more person. We're going to dunk them. Before people make major decisions, they have to have confidence it's the right decision. Think about when you go make a